What about the innocent man from Africa who has never heard the good news of Jesus? What happens to him? Uh, let's jump into this question on this edition of Theology Thursday. Thanks for joining me. Uh, if you have any suggestions, I know we're only four in, but I'm starting to worry about having more topics. So if you've got a topic on your mind or on your heart or a question you've always had about our faith, let me know in a comment below and we'll dive in if it doesn't stump me too hard. Um, so what will happen? Have you ever heard that question? What happens to the man, the innocent man in Africa who's just living as good a life as he can, never hears about Jesus and dies? What happens to him? This is a very emotional question. It pulls at our heart. Um, you might have heard this from a, an atheist friend or from a family member who's hostile to God. This might be one of the questions that they bring up. And it might be a question that you've struggled with. I mean, these are, this is a real question. It's a big question. It's a good question. Um, and it's, it's one that's good for us to jump into. Uh, now, this is also called the fate of the unevangelized. The fate of the unevangelized. Now, there are different types of questions about our faith. So before we jump in here, I, I want to speak a little bit about the main and plain things. Main and plain. Okay, questions about our faith. Several of them can fall under this category, the main and plain. These are things that are main. So these are central to our faith. These are foundational to our faith. These are things that affect our salvation. So these are things to deny is to put yourself out of Christianity. These are questions like, how are we saved? Well, we are saved by grace through faith. That's how we're saved. That's a main and plain thing. So that is foundational. It's main. It is plain. We see that clearly spelled out in Scripture. Other things like this are the resurrection. The resurrection is a main and plain thing. It is an essential thing. We're going to be talking about that in a few days with Easter. Jesus died on the cross. He rose bodily. That's a main part of our, our faith, a main part of our salvation. And it is plain. It is clearly spelled out in Scripture. There, there are several of these. There are many of these. And so there are certain questions in Scripture that we could just, that, about our faith that we could say, okay, I know the answer. Here it is, main and plain. The church has, has figured this out for thousands of years. Here's the answer. Uh, now, as you can imagine, there are things, there are questions about our faith that aren't main and plain. There are questions that, aren't, that don't involve essential parts of our faith, that don't involve salvation. There are questions that touch on things that aren't plainly laid out in Scripture. Things like, um, how is your church governed? How is it led? Who makes decisions? Does your church have elders? Does your church have deacons? Does your church just have pastors? Do, does the congregation make all the decisions? Uh, is, is this, are these questions important? Sure, it's important. Very important. Is it a main thing? No, it's not a main thing. You can be a believing church an obedient church and have deacons. You can be an obedient church, a, a Christian church and have elders. That's not a main thing. Is it a plain thing? No, it's not a plainly spelled out in scripture. Um, there's probably a right answer to it, uh, the best way to do it. Um, but if you don't have that answer clearly, uh, it's not the end of the world. It's not the end of the world. Uh, do you see the difference here between the main and plain questions and the non-main and plain questions? Well, 
Where does the fate of the unevangelized, unevangelized, where does that fall? Well, this is not a main and plain question in Scripture or answer in Scripture. This is a secondary issue. It's an important issue. It's an important question. But there's no one or two verses that I can show you to say, this is exactly how this works out. Okay? It's not, it's not in there. It's not in there. Um, this is a question that we benefit from setting up guardrails. Okay? Some questions are main and plain. We have main and plain answers. Some aren't, and they benefit from setting up guardrails. So we set up, we look in Scripture, and we set up guardrails or fences in which we can make our answer. For instance, when the early church was talking about the nature of Jesus, how is Jesus exactly God and man? How is he exactly one person with two natures? How does this exactly play itself out? Um, the early church got together and they said, we can bring lots of clarity here, but there's also some freedom in how you interpret those things. And so what they did, they came up with the Chalcedonian box. Okay, Just to give you an example of a main and plain uh, answer using guardrails. So they said, how, does, how is Jesus fully God and fully man? How does this play out? How is Jesus in, in Luke 2, how does Jesus grow in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man? How does he do, has he grow in wisdom and be God? How exactly that plays out? We don't see a clear answer in scripture. What we see clearly is Jesus is fully God. Main and plain thing in scripture. We talked about that several weeks ago when we talked about Christology. Jesus is fully God and he is fully man. Main and plain things in scripture. So we've set up two guardrails that say you must, your answer for how this exactly works out must fall between these two lines. Jesus has, is one person, two natures. So we see they made this box and they say, here are the main and plain guardrails for us to answer this question. And your answer to how this exactly plays out must fall within this box. If your answer to this question falls outside you are no longer in the realm of the Christian faith. You're something else. And so if your answer falls out this way, fully man, if you say, man, Jesus, I, I'm, I'm all in on Jesus being fully man, but he's not fully God. You're outside of the Christian faith. Likewise, if you go over here and say, Jesus is fully God, but not fully man. He was, he was just a God and in a body and he didn't have a, a man nature. If you say that, you're outside of the Christian faith. So I think it's helpful to ask the question about our innocent friend from Africa who never hears about Jesus. We don't have a clear, a clear, plain answer in Scripture, but what we have are some plain guardrails that we can, um, that we can set up to help us answer this question biblically. And so that's what we're going to do. So let, let's, jump, let's jump right in. So the first guardrail, when we, at, when we talk about the unevangelized, when we talk about our friend from Africa, the first thing that we have to set up, first guardrail, divine justice. To answer this question, what about the fate of the unevangelized? We've got to start with God's divine justice. God is always right. He is always just. He never does something wrong. We've got to start there. Now we get this in scripture many, many places, um, but we're gonna, I'm gonna give you one. We talked about this a few weeks ago. Psalm 89, 14 says, 
Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. You remember this? So God's throne and how he interacts with the world and how he is king of the universe, the foundation of his reign is justice. Other places say God cannot sin. God never does what's wrong. He is holy. He's infinitely holy. He never does wrong. For God to do something wrong is unthinkable. It's nonsense. God being just and acting justly is necessary. Do you know what I mean when I say that? Is necessary. That means to be God means he is just. In the same way, in the same way that to be a bachelor is to be single, to be God is to be just. Have you ever heard of a, of a married bachelor? Have you ever heard of a married bachelor? No, it doesn't make sense. It's a contradiction. It's nonsense. In the same way, for God to act unjustly is nonsense. It could never happen in a million years. So whatever the answer is to this question of this man in Africa, we must answer, answer it in this way. God is just. God is just. So God will act toward this man righteously, justly, and in a good and holy way. Are you with me? Your answer has to, has to involve that. Um, therefore, so, so this guardrail prevents us from answering the question by saying God is unjust. So some people might say, well, how, how do we, the fate of the unevangelized, well, God is just unjust toward this person. He's just unfair. He's, he's going to send him to hell and it's just an unfair thing to do. No, you can't, you can't do that. To answer it that way is to answer outside of biblical plain teaching. So, no one in heaven or in hell can truly accuse God of being wrong or sinful or unjust. So those in hell will never be able to truly say, well, I'm here because God is unjust. Not true. Never be true. So, the second, the second guardrail Divine control, or another way to put it, divine sovereignty. God is in total control of everything in the universe. Nothing is outside of his will. Nothing is outside of his reach. We get this, of course, all over scripture. It's a plain thing. Acts 17, 26. So we're talking about a man in Africa. Let's say he was born in 1498. Okay, before he had the internet, before he had any, any telephones, before we had many missionaries, all those things. So he was born in Africa. I don't know why Africa. That always comes up. Africa has tons of Christians. Uh, but he was born in Africa, 1498. Never heard the gospel. Um, is he out of God's reach? Was he born there on accident? Is God saying, well, shoot, if you were born in 1990, the gospel could have gotten to you. But uh, just by accident, you're born then. And does God throw up his hands and say, oh, I wish you were born a little bit later or in a different place? No, God is in total control. Acts 17, 26 says this, and it fits perfectly with what we're talking about. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth having determined allotted times and the boundary of their dwelling places. So our African friend was born in Africa. 
by God's providence. He was born in 1498 in God's providence. He's not out of the reach of God. He's not out of the control of God. He's not born accidentally in 1498. He's not born accidentally in Africa. He's purposefully placed there by God. So this guardrail prevents us from saying, this man in Africa, he's just too isolated. He was just born too long ago. He was just accidentally born at the wrong time. So no one goes to hell on accident because they were born in the wrong place or the wrong time. If someone goes to hell, there is much more to it than that. Are you with me? Divine justice, divine control. Two guardrails. What's the third guardrail? The third guardrail comes to us. Human knowledge. Human knowledge. So, well, this man was born in 1498 in Africa. He doesn't know God exists. He doesn't know what God requires of him. God sends people to hell when, when we break his law, and this poor guy in Africa just doesn't know God. You might hear this from your atheist friends. I just don't know. I just don't know that there's a God. I don't believe that there's a God. I've never believed that there's a God. You might hear those kinds of things. Well, the Bible tells us that all of us knows that God exists, and all of us even know he has a law. Let me read this to you. Let me read this to you. Romans 1, 18 through 20. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them. Because God has made it plain. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities... His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen. Being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. So, is there anyone who's ever existed who can say, I just didn't know that there was a God? Scripture tells us no. That person doesn't exist. Now, I think the Bible lays out this idea that we have a calloused heart and the more wickedness we have, says we suppress the truth by our wickedness, the more sin we pursue, the more we run from God, can our hearts get calloused to where we might not feel God? Yeah, maybe. But do, are we all living a life where we can see the evidence from God? Are we all living a life knowing that God exists? Is that our condition? Yeah, Scripture says yes. His invisible qualities, His power, and His nature are seen clearly in what has been created. I know it sounds cliche. Go outside your house tonight, look up in the stars, see how that makes you feel. Scripture says from the, very, from the very beginning of creation, we can look at the stars, we can look at the Grand Canyon, we can look at animals and fish and say, wow, these are created by a powerful, good God. We can see that. And then it leads, so this man, 
never heard the gospel, but he knows God exists. He might suppress it in his sinfulness like we all do, but he knows God exists. And therefore, Romans 1 tells us he is without excuse. So there's no excuse that he can make to say, well, I'm in hell, but God is unjust because I didn't know he existed. The Bible says, no, he has enough knowledge to understand that God does exist. And even beyond that, Scripture says that we know God exists and his law is even written on our hearts. Romans 2 says it. For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. Indeed, when Gentiles, when non-Jews, so when our friend from Africa is not a Jew, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the requirements of the law of God are written on their hearts. Their conscience also bears witness, and their thoughts sometimes accuse them and other times even defend them. This will take place on the day when God judges people's secrets through Jesus Christ, as my gospel declares. So, the Bible says, every one of us was born with God's law written on our hearts. Every one of us has a conscience that bears witness. Every one of us have thoughts that make us guilty or sometimes defend us. Isn't that nice? So the requirements of the law is written on our friends, our friend from Africa are written on his heart. We see this. I mean, around the world, there seems to be these laws that all of us know. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not commit adultery. I mean, those are, those are just about universal. And where they're not universal, we are incredibly offended, aren't we? When the person uh, lives his life thinking that he can murder who, who, whomever he wants, that offends us deep to our core. We don't just say, well, he's got a different law than me. He can murder and that's fine. No, we say he is doing something wrong. Where cultures go outside of those limits, we think that that culture is broken. When Hitler took his war machine against, against the world and against the Jews. We didn't say, well, Hitler's living under a different law. No, we're saying, no, he has offended the universal law. So we all have this in our hearts. So this guardrail, human knowledge, this guardrail prevents us from saying, our friend from Africa never knew God existed, or he never knew what God required. He did. In both counts, he did. So, no one can accurately accuse God of hiding. You can't do it. No one can accurately accuse God of hiding his laws. You can't do it. So, human knowledge. Next guardrail, human guilt. My least favorite part. Human guilt. We have a just God who will always act justly. We have a God who is in control of when this man is born and where he is born. We have a God in control who has given this man knowledge of him and knowledge of his law written on his heart. And how does this man respond? Do you notice how we started the question? The question always goes like this. We're not talking about an, a, an axe murderer in 1498 in Africa, are we? We're talking about an innocent man. 
What about the innocent man in Africa who's never heard of Jesus? He can't go to hell, can he? Well, okay, stick with us. Okay, I'm going to say something incorrect. Don't click off now. An innocent man in Africa who never hears about Jesus will be saved and go to heaven. Stay with me. This is what the Bible says. Romans 2, 6 through 8. God will repay each person according to what they have done. That sounds fair. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. So if our friend seeks righteousness and holiness, he knows God exists, if he loves God, if he knows the law in, God's, in his heart and he follows that law perfectly, he will have eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. So God repays us according to our works. That sounds fair. That sounds fair. So the innocent man in Africa will go to heaven. That's fair. What's the problem? If you've been, if you've been a Christian for a while, you certainly know this answer. What's the problem? There's no such man. There's no innocent man in Africa. There's no innocent man in Pittsburgh, Kansas. There's no innocent man standing here. There's no innocent man who has ever lived except for Jesus Christ. So innocent men, innocent women, have eternal life. The problem is none of us are innocent when it comes to the law of God. Romans 3 says it clearly. For we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are under the power of sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Now we know, I'm skipping ahead to verse 19. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Wow. So when your friend, when your atheist friend, when your hostile family member asks you this question about what happens to the innocent man in Africa, the first response to that probably should be, there is no such thing. We're all sinners. So do you see, so you see how we're building this case? There's not, this doesn't just answer the question, this doesn't just answer the question, but we've got to build this biblical case. So we see we have a just God who's in total control, that we know God exists, we know his law, and we have broken his law. Well, maybe somebody will say, um, well, let me, let me finish that thought by saying this. So this guardrail prevents us from saying God will punish innocent men and women. He won't. He said he won't. And there are none. There are no innocent people in hell. And there are no innocent people in heaven. People in heaven are guilty whose sins have been paid for by the blood of Jesus and have been declared righteous and are new creations. So now you might say, well, what if we have somebody who, is he just a robot? I mean, is he just doing bad things because he's been programmed to do bad things? And he really would seek righteousness if he could, but is, is, is it like, oh, here's a sin over there, and I, wanna, I don't want to do it, but it's pulled, being pulled. No, it's not like that. It's not like that. We freely reject 
Humans freely reject God's law. This man man is like the rest of us. We have chosen to reject God. This is Acts, oh sorry, this is Romans 1, 21. It goes like this. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings and birds and animals. Therefore, God gave them over to their sinful desires of their hearts, to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is to be forever praised. Amen. So they knew God, but chose not to glorify him. They exchanged God for idols. What does that mean? They're not going, boy, I don't, this idol's here. I wish I could go to God, but I'm just going this way. No, they're excited. Yeah, here, take God and I'll take this idol. Are you with me? They exchanged God for idols. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie. Oh, here's the truth about God. All right. Oh, but man, that lie looks really good. I'm, yeah, I want that. They're excited about it. When we sin before Christ, when we sinned, we were all about it. We didn't want any part of God. We wanted our sin. We were happy to be chasing our sin. We had no interest in God. Not only, couldn't, not only could we not pursue God, we didn't want to pursue God. We had no desire to. That was disgusting to us. We had no desire for it. We worshipped and served the things rather than God. So this guardrail prevents us from saying, well, sure, the law was written on our hearts, but he's probably some robot that can't do, that can't do what's right, that, that would like to do what's right, but he just couldn't quite do it. No, he freely and joyfully pursues sinfulness and rejects God. That's the desire of his heart. Before Christ, that's the desire of our hearts. So, No one is forced to reject God. Rather, we freely and joyfully do that. God says He has given us up to our sinful pleasures and desires. So the point, the idea is God can hold us back from these things, but man, we are running that direction, and then at some point He'll go like this, and we're gone. And we're gone. So, just in control. We know God and His law. We break His law. We do so freely and joyfully. And now, the good news. Divine compassion. Any answer about the man in Africa has to include divine compassion. God has compassion for sinners like him and sinners like me and sinners like you. 2 Peter 3.9, the Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. God has a heart for people to repent. Ezekiel 33 says it, Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways, for why will you die? 
We saw it last week, if you were with us in Palm Sunday. Jesus weeps for Jerusalem because Jerusalem is going to be under the judgment of God for their sins and their rejection of their Messiah. Jesus weeps and sobs. God has a heart for compassionate people. And so this guardrail prevents us from saying, well, God just doesn't care about this person. God just has no compassion for this person. We can't say that. Our answer has to be on this side of that guardrail. And in his compassion, we have a divine plan of salvation. Any answer has to include that God's divine plan of salvation. God has provided a way for this sinner and all sinners like me and like you to be saved. And that way is only through faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John 14, 6. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not of yourselves is a gift of God. So we are saved through Jesus by our faith. Romans 10, 13 through 15 says it this way. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Isn't that great? I'm going to jump back in there in a moment. So my friends, there are not multiple ways to God. There's one way to God. That's through Jesus. And so there are, there are two things to emphasize here. There are two things to emphasize here. In God's divine compassion, He has provided a way for salvation for all who call upon His name. And it's not about being good people. It's not who has better karma, who doesn't. It is all who call upon His name, all who repent and have faith in Jesus will be saved. What a great gift. But this also, this guardrail also says it's only through Jesus. So Christian, if you say this man can be saved by his own false religion at home. That's not true. That answer falls out here. Okay? Jesus is not just the best way to be saved. He's the only way to be saved. We have to be very clear about that. If we're not clear about that, if I'm out here, why in the world am I Am I doing this message for you? Why in the world do I preach on Sundays? Why in the world do we spend money when we take money each Sunday to send missionaries out around the world? If they could be saved where they are, why are we doing all this? I'm going to go home. We do this for many reasons. And one of them is we know that Jesus is the only way to be saved. And we love this person. And in God's divine compassion, he has provided a way of salvation even for this man. So some people... Some people are, have the position that maybe this guy could be saved by Jesus without knowing Jesus. And how does this exactly work? And there's, there's a little bit to be said for it's kind of a box in itself, right? I mean, we can work on that at another time. But here's, here's what I find really compelling. Uh, you can't be saved without knowing Jesus. There's, you, can't, you can't be saved through Jesus without knowing Jesus. And this is one of the reasons I believe that really strongly. So going back to Romans 10, what I read earlier, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe on him of whom they have never heard? 
And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? It is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. That seems to say really clearly that to be saved is to call upon the name of the Lord. And how will we call upon the name of the Lord if we don't know who He is? How will we, not, how will we know who He is unless someone preaches to us? I think you see that in Scripture. I think you see that everywhere. That where salvation comes, the Word of God being proclaimed is there. I think that's clear. And so, this guardrail says that we are saved only by Jesus, only by faith in Jesus. I think that's really clear. Any other answer, I think, falls short. Any other answer falls short. So this guardrail prevents us from heresy and it prevents us from indifference towards those in other religions. Now, I wish we could end in a different order, but we're going to end with human fate. I think any answer has to include an understanding of this. For the gate is narrow, says Jesus, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Matthew 7, 14. I think it's healthy for us to be optimistic and to be hopeful for these people who don't hear, who haven't heard about the name of Jesus. I think it's a good thing to be optimistic and to be hopeful, but I think it's unhealthy for us to be naive. I think we have to have a weightiness to this. Like Spurgeon says that if people go to hell, may they go to hell with our arms wrapped around their knees. I think we have to realize that this is a urgent matter. Many, 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 many people will go to hell. I think this guardrail prevents us from harmful, naive, naive optimism that has no evidence. I think this guardrail will spur us on for missions. Anything that says everybody is saved is way outside. It's way outside. And it's a heavy thing, and it should be a heavy thing. It should be a burdensome thing. So, where are we? What about this man, innocent man in Africa? Well, we know that God will always act justly towards this man. We know that God has sovereignly placed him in Africa in 19, 19, or sorry, 1498. We know that God has revealed himself and his law to this man. We know this man is like us and he is not innocent, good, or righteous. We know that this man freely rejects God and his law. We know that God has tremendous compassion for this man. We know that this man can be saved only through faith in Jesus Christ and His sacrifice. And we know that many like Him will go to hell. Again, I wish I could end on something better than that. But I think that any, question, any answer we have for the fate of the unevangelized has to fall in these guardrails. So maybe you fall here, maybe you fall here. What we don't want to do, we don't want to fall over here, right? We don't want to fall outside of this answer and give incorrect answers to this very important question. So how do I specifically answer this question? 
Man, it's a tough one. It's a really tough one. I think we got to start with saying, my answer starts with, whatever God does is just. Whatever this answer will be is just. If it makes my heart sad, if it makes my heart sick, if, if I don't like it, my problem is my heart. It's not in God. God is always just. And let's be honest. Scripture says God is just if all of us go to hell. That's just because we're all sinners. We all break His law. In His compassion, I believe He offers salvation. And I believe... Again, you can disagree with me, and I would encourage you to disagree with me inside these guardrails. You can disagree with me. I believe all those who would be saved will be saved. Okay? I believe strongly that no one will say, if only that missionary who wandered into my town, if only he had come a day earlier than I, before I died, then I'm surely, I surely would have been saved. No one is going to say that. No one's going to be able to say that. No one is going to go to hell a day early. No one's going to be able to say, God, if you had only X, Y, and Z, I would have been saved. No one will be able to truly say that. All who, will be, all who would be saved will be saved. I think we see this in, in Scripture. I think we see it, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. You remember this? Ethiopian eunuch's reading the book of Isaiah, and God brings Philip miraculously from where he is to the Ethiopian eunuch. And Philip proclaims the gospel to him. The Ethiopian eunuch is saved and baptized. Remember that story? I think who would be saved will be saved. Does that happen very often? I don't think so. But I think we see that in Scripture. We see that in Cornelius. Cornelius and Peter. Cornelius in Acts 10, I believe. Uh, an angel tells Cornelius, who's a God-fearer. He, he's, he's fearing God. He, he loves God. He knows God. He's trying to pursue God, but he's not a saved man. He doesn't know Jesus. The angel tells Cornelius to find Peter. Go find this man, Peter. An angel tells him, and, and he goes and finds Peter and brings him to him. Peter preaches the gospel, and he's saved. Cornelius is saved. I think this is how God works. I think anyone who would be saved will be saved. And I don't think, and I think it's really clear that no one is going to be able to be in hell and say, boy, it's just was an accident. If only X, Y, and Z. I don't think that's the way it works. Um, I hope this has been helpful. It's a weighty subject. Um, I, hope, I hope this has been encouraging to you and clarifying a few things. Uh, again, if you have any ideas for moving forward next week, let me know. Uh, we love you. Thank you for spending time with me. Uh, I'll see you next time.